like and subscribe. Hello and welcome to episode three of The One, the unofficial podcast of One Fighting Championship. And if you're surprised we made it this far, you're not the only one. Three episodes in, who would have thunk it? But here we are. So on that note, I got to ask you, like, subscribe, ring the bell, do all that stuff. You know what I need. I want to become a rich and famous podcaster. I want women to respect me and desire me like they do Ariel Hawani, you know, and I want men to to uh, look at me with a great deal of admiration like they do for Brandon Schaub. That's, that's, you know, what the goal is here. So the only way I can do that is if you like and subscribe. And if you watch this podcast and you listen to this podcast and you don't like and subscribe, you're stealing from me and you should go to prison. So now that we've got that out of the way, let's get the show going. Actually, before we do that, you know what time it is. Time for my cider of the week. This actually isn't a cider. It's a uh, it's a kombucha. So if you all thought I was fruity for liking ciders, you're really going to question my sexuality with this kombucha. But it's by Boochcraft. It's um, a session hard kombucha. It's 4.2% alcohol. And it's mint mojito flavored. And... It's some real hipster stuff right here. So let's give this a try, see how it is. I don't know about drinking something that's only 4.2% alcohol. But see how that goes. Hey, that's pretty good. Kind of tastes like, kind of like minty, kind of like mojito-y. Yeah, it's not bad. I do have the other ones by Boochcraft that are like uh, 7 and 8% alcohol. So we'll see how the, see how the rest of the show goes. You might have noticed too. Uh, I'm I'm done with the virtual background. We're we're kind of on a set now. The sets are work in progress. Uh, uh, my sign up here isn't isn't quite a finished deal, and the lighting isn't done. That's why it looks like we're in a cave. But uh, this is a work in progress. And if you're an audio listener, you could just ignore this part and you know do do whatever you want to do with your life. But uh, for the video listeners. We'll probably get some cool stuff on the shelves and get some better lighting in here. So just stick it out. That's coming in the future. But anyway, enough about my life. You don't care about that. You don't even care enough to like and subscribe. Let's just get to the fights, which is what you all came here for. So as you all already know, my my beautifully educated and informed hardcore fans, this weekend there was a uh, 1FC event. One fight night, 17. And, uh, you know, as we're coming to expect from these uh, one Friday night fight events, there was a ton of action, a ton of knockouts, ton of technical striking, some MMA matches mixed in there. Pretty incredible. Headlining fight was Pompech versus Duong Sampong. That fight definitely delivered, but we'll start at the beginning and, and work our way down. You know, one of the things I, I kind of was talking about last week was how much I like watching MMA in the ring versus the cage. You know, you could see a lot better. I'm sure for the people in person there in Lupini Stadium, they're, they're able to see a lot more of the fight versus if those matches were in a cage. 
And I also noticed something else of, about the ring that I really like. You know, one of my big complaints about MMA now is that so much of the time is spent pushing guys up against the cage. You know, guys lean against the cage so they don't get taken down, but also the guy on the inside pushes. And he could kind of go into like that um, three-point stance where his legs are way out behind his butt and he's kind of just leaning against the cage with all of his force. And, of course, from that angle, you can't strike, you can't throw good knees, you can't kick, you can barely punch. And, you know, the guy who's pressed up against the cage there's nothing he could do either. You know, he's just fighting to stay upright. And so that that's a very like stalemate position, a very, it's, you know, grinding on the fighters. It makes them really tired, but it's not interesting to watch. It's not entertaining to watch. And, uh, you know, I think that's why we got a lot of these stalemates uh, in the, in North American MMA. And with the the ring, what I like about the ring is that, you know, there is sort of a wall there, you know, there's, there's the ropes, there's five ropes, and then they're held together with uh, horizontal ropes as well. You could kind of lean up against it, you could use it to help you kind of get up and, you know, pr- protect from the uh, takedown, but it's not like a, a physical wall. So when guys go up against the, the ropes of the ring, they're just clinching as if they were in an actual fight versus pushing each other up against it. And it makes for a lot more action. You know, there's a lot more striking that's going on, you know, from both sides. Guys on both sides can strike more. So it's just another thing that I really like about these uh, Friday night fights in Lumpini Stadium is being able to watch this stuff in the ring. It's a lot more action. I mean, the, the proof's in the numbers. You can see the amount of finishes that are going on in these events. And, uh, you know, I attribute a lot of that to, to the fights being in the ring, you know, and obviously the rule set that one, one has. So speaking of which, right off the bat, we had uh, MMA fight as these Friday night fights usually start out with one or two MMA fights. We had the winner of Road to One, uh, Mongolia, Ank Orgil Batarhu, and he was the Road to One winner. And he was fighting uh, Rocky Bakhtol from the Philippines. And this fight was like a perfect example of why knees to the head of a grounded opponent make a big difference in a fight. You know, for people who say it's just to add more violence or that it wouldn't really change the uh, scope of the fight, watch this fight and make that argument with me. Because that's definitely not the case. And we saw it here, you know. Batar, who he was really physical. He was able to dictate where the fight went. As I was talking about previously, when he did get the his opponent up against the, the ring ropes, they were in more of a clinch position. He landed a lot of knees, a lot of elbows. And uh, when it went down to the ground, you know, after he'd hurt Bakhtol, he used the, the knees to, to finish him off. You know, when when... In North American MMA, when fighters go to the ground, it's a safe position. You know, a lot of people are pointing out where Eljamain Sterling was in his fight against Henry Cejudo, where he was able to just go on all fours and just have Cejudo standing in front of him. And to, in my opinion, and I mean, it's not really my opinion, it's a fact, you know, if, if you're in a street fight with someone and they go down on all fours, that fight's going to be over in about 20 seconds for the person who's standing up. And I just think that the rules in one are much 
more accurate representation of that because it it's what would happen in real life. And you saw it here with Batarku, you know, he used the knees to, to get the finish to the ground opponent, got him out of there in the first round and got the uh, 350,000 bot bonus. The first of, of many bonuses we were going to see tonight. So that was a great way to start off the fight, fight night, uh, get a great finish. And then next after that, we had Lang Yang Zhu, uh, Zhu Lian. Um, yeah, Lian A. Yang Xia, the Fire Dragon King, uh, fighting Ivan uh, Parshikov. So Parshikov's, you know, primarily a wrestler. And Xia is more of a stand-up guy. And Parshkov was able to uh, implement his wrestling pretty, pretty easily. You know, he was able to get Xia down pretty quickly. And uh, as I said with the previous fight, you know, when you get a fighter on the ground and one, it's not this thing where guys are holding each other down. You know, it's a lot easier to mount some offense from both sides and get the fight finished. And we saw that, you know, Parshkov was able to get a first round TKO, you know, and that was just... Uh, a ground and pound finish. And that's something you, you, you don't really see in the first round in North American MMA. You know, usually if a guy gets a finish in the first round in North American MMA, it's because they got a submission. You see ground and pound finishes in, you know, the second or third round after a guy's been beat down and he's tired. So it's cool to see it here, you know, and that's really the knees make that possible. You know, so we got two finishes, two finishes in a row, two first round finishes in a row, two 350,000 bot bonuses in a row. So both of these guys are going back to uh, Russia or Mongolia or wherever, you know, $10,000 richer. Excuse me for one moment. I'm absolutely parched. So next, the next uh, competition was in Adam Weight Muay Thai. And, uh, you know, if you were trying to sell this to someone who had never watched one uh, FC before, and you said, "Hey, uh, there's going to be a woman's a women's fight, and the women who are fighting are both uh, 105 pounds," probably be a pretty hard sell for North American MMA fans. You know, they would probably say, "Hey, that's going to be boring. There's not going to be a lot of excitement." But uh, that's why we watch one. Because that's not the case, you know. Because of the rule set and because of the the way this uh, organization is uh, operated, you know, there's potential for exciting fights in every division. And we saw that in this fight. So you had Celeste the Best Hansen, who's from Australia, and she's the Road to One Thailand champion. And she was fighting Danny Fall, who's a Brit. They had kind of like a Battle of the Commonwealth thing. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Women weren't even allowed to compete in Lumpini Stadium until 18 months ago. So Hanson was actually the first uh, female foreigner to fight in Lumpini. So that's kind of a cool thing. You know, one's going in there with their events. They're kind of making history with this kind of stuff. And it shows you, you, you know, we're not in America. They're like, we don't want women fighting in our in our stadium. So kind of cool that we're making these big changes with uh, with one, with their events and uh creating opportunity for uh, female fighting, you know, which we all know I'm a huge fan of female MMA and female combat sports. So it's cool to see this. And uh, these chicks absolutely uh, delivered in this fight. You know, Danny Fall, 
you know, she, she's very technical. She's big, she's long. And, uh, you know, in my opinion, she seems like she was up on the scorecards. I thought she was kind of cruising towards a decision. In fact, Hansen got cut really bad by one of Fall's elbows in either the end of the second or the beginning of the third. And so I thought it was just a matter of time. You know, I thought, you know, once this gets through the third round, it'll be an easy decision for Fall. But uh, Celeste Hansen isn't the type of fighter that just accepts defeat. And in the third round, after she got cut open, she turned it on and absolutely was like a wild banshee against Fall. And just attacked her with everything. She used her cardio. She used her her aggressive style and absolutely opened up on fall in what was a, a super in a, in an exciting fight. It was an exceptionally fight exciting third round. And it did go to the judges' decisions, but man, what a shockingly good third round that was. And uh, you know the judges ended up giving the decision to Hanson. I don't have a huge problem with that on my scorecard. You know fall won the first two rounds and Hanson won the third round. We're talking Muay Thai here. So, you know, we're scoring on the 10 point must system round by round. I, I mean, I'm not upset by the decision. I thought fall won, won it, but when you have a fight that that's that close, that entertaining, I'm cool with it, you know, and uh, both, both ladies did great. Hopefully they both got a little bonus for that. It was a very exciting fight. You know, a lot of times in, in Muay Thai and kickboxing, especially you have the fight get slowed down by clinching. You know, if one of the fighters is clinching, 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 the ref has to keep coming and stopping it. It could really slow down the, the pace of the action. This had none of that. No clinching, just nonstop fighting, throwing punches at each other. The third round, they these women forgot you could kick a knee in Muay Thai. They just threw punches at each other's faces. And, you know, it just goes to show you, even if these women are 105 pounds, if they have the warrior spirit and they're in the right uh, environment to deliver an exciting show, they will deliver an exciting show. And we saw that. So refreshing. Okay. Li Gu Xin from China is fighting Yelta Blumart from Belgium. And, you know, I didn't know what to expect out of this fight. You know, Blue Mart seemed in the first round, like he was a much cleaner striker. And, uh, you know, he was just technical, you know, nothing too flashy, nothing too wild. And, you know, that's, a, that's a lot of, uh, European Muay Thai, you know, it's very technical. And a lot of those guys used their like length and size to, to, to win their matches. And I thought that's what we're going to see here. You know, a, a three round decision that was very technical, but, uh, Lee, Lee didn't want to get outpointed in a decision. And he came out in round two, like he was, you know, fired out of a, a cannon. And, uh, he got a bunch of, a bunch of really solid strikes on uh, Blumart. You know, he he hurt Blumart with shots to the body over and over again and eventually dropped him like halfway through the second round. And m my estimation was, okay, this is the beginning of the end. He's going to keep laying it on him. Um, but Blumart answered the egg count and got up and, you, you know, 
Lee just kept going to the body and instead of trying to cover up and protect himself, like most of us would have done if we were getting attacked to the body after we've been dropped, he just decided to go out there and throw the elbows and throw, throw the, throw the hooks to Lee's head. And he absolutely devastated Lee finishing him off with knees to the body. You know, if this was an MMA fight in North America, it would be like a fight of the year candidate because of all the back and forth stuff, how hurt Blumart was, how his warrior spirit, how he fought back. But, you know, since it's MMA or since it's Muay Thai on YouTube, it's just another Friday night for one fighting championships. You know, most of North America doesn't know these amazing fights are going on, but luckily me and you do. and We get to enjoy them at least and hopefully more pe people in North America do in the future, you know. So for me, by far, this was my fight of the night. Blumart absolutely uh, gained my respect. He's one tough ginger. And, uh, you know, that's why Muay Thai and four-arms gloves is one of the, in one FC is the most exciting sport in the world. No, you know, no questions asked. He said after uh, the fight, he's stuck in a dream. Please don't wake him up. Yeah. Yeah, dream come true for a guy who moved from Belgium to uh, Thailand to fight, you know, to get that $10,000 bonus. And, and you know, I think most people are going to say that's the fight of the night. So hats off to, to Blumart, you know, and I hope we see a lot more of them in the future. You know, 1FC makes makes this Muay Thai thing possible, you know, for guys like Blumart who come from another country and want to live in Thailand and train and do this thing full time and, and make a career out of it. You know, there's not a lot of, not a lot of options for them to, to fight full time and to make a career out of this, but one FC makes it possible. And, you know, this, this deal that uh, one has with channel seven and Lumpini stadium, you know, is, is casting such a big spotlight on it to bring weekly fights to, to the world is pretty incredible in my opinion. So then we had the featured prelim. You know, this isn't like the main the main card of the fight. They do kind of like how a lot of North American MMA, they do prelims, a featured prelim, and then they do five fights on the main card. So this is a featured prelim. Yodelek Pet from Thailand. He's a uh, four-time Muay Thai world champion. They call him the Destroyer. Uh, he's fighting Dennis Porich, who's a uh, dual citizen from Bosnia and Kenya. You know... He's a four-time World Thai, Muay Thai world champion, so he's obviously going to be favored going into this fight. Uh, one thing I do love about One FC is, uh, you know, their their passion for the martial arts, their respect for the martial arts. Like every episode, every episode of Friday Night Frights, they do the Waikram uh, Romai, the traditional, you know, movements of the different uh, Muay Thai gyms and. You know, I just feel like there's so much more culture in 1FC, you know. In, in Thailand, Muay Thai isn't just like the national sport. It's like a religion, you know. It's it's a, it's part of their culture. And uh, to see this every Friday and see the respect they have for, for uh, martial arts is pretty cool, you know. I can't imagine, like, the UFC doing something like this, like doing a, a fight in Thailand and Dana White being like, like, hey, guys, we're going to do – we're going to do the, the, the white crom. And, and take a minute out from our sponsorship uh, commercials to do this traditional Thai, Thai movements and music, you know. So it's cool to see it here. I'm glad that uh, we've got somebody doing it and holding up the, uh, the uh, martial arts tradition. Um, but as far as the fight goes, you know, 
all that Y crom, that's all that's all cool. But you know, we got to see why Yodlek Pet shows why he's a four time world champion. You know, the first two rounds he was definitely leading in the dance in third he got that third round TKO. And he's called the destroyer for a reason, you know? He's he just goes in there and overpowers guys, you know. Porsche looked looked fit, he looked ready, he had all the will to fight. He uh, was not looking for an easy way out, but, um, you know, when a guy continually rocks you to the body and you get dropped in the standing eight count and you get back up and 30 seconds later, he drops you again. And, you know, that happens over and over again. There's only so many times you could do that, you know, so hats off to him. Great job. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more of that guy in the in the future. Another guy we're probably going to see a lot more of in the future is uh, my Senkum. You know. He was fighting a guy from Brazil, Dianatha Santos Tobias. Tobias' record isn't the most impressive in the world, but hey, that doesn't always tell the story. But, uh, you know, my Senkum has excellent rips to the body, and he showed that, you know. He just ripped Tobias to the body in the first round, and Tobias dropped and, and didn't get back up. You know, and there's levels to this game. You know, my Senkum is at a higher level than Tobias, and he showed it in the fight, and that's why he was able to get the first round finish. So, you know, so at this point, we're we're one fight into the uh, to the main card. We've got four fights left, and we've had one decision. Almost every other fight's ended in the first round. So, good night if you're if you're into. Uh, into fights and finishes and, and stand-up fighting. It's a good good event to watch. Uh, Rachan. Rachan's fighting Kunsuk. And uh, Rachan's a pretty established fighter. His older brother is fighting later in the night. And, uh, you know, he came out with something to prove. He dropped Kunsuk in the first, and I think a lot of people weren't expecting that. So... You know, he, he's a powerful guy, but he started to slow down in the second, and Kun Suk started to pick up speed. You know, if Kun Suk has an advantage over Rachan, it's his it's his cardio. And he was showing that, you know. Kun Suk started to lay it on Rachan later in the fight, but Rachan fired back. You know, he's got that warrior spirit, and he he uh, fired back with knees to the body and dropped Kun Suk again. And then Kun Suk answered the eight count, but Rachan came back. And finished him, you know, and it was cool to see Rachan come back from that adversity, shows you the kind of fighter he is. And, uh, you know, Chachri and 1FC agreed and they gave him that $10,000 bonus. So that was a great fight. Right after that, we saw uh, Taiwan Chai. He did an interview with with uh, the team there. And, uh, you know, he's a Muay Thai world champion. He wants to fight for the kickboxing world title. And to me, this is one of the coolest things about one is that, you know, you could have a champion of one division of the organization and they'll fight, you know, in other divisions, you know, we, we don't have anything like this in North American MMA. There's no comparison to help explain it to North American fighters. The closest thing I could say is that, you know, if the UFC had a boxing division that like all the world's best boxers were fighting in, you know, and, and, you know, say that the UFC's boxing division had Tyson Fury in it. And then John Jones was like, well, I'm going to go box Tyson Fury or Tyson Fury is saying, I'm going to go uh, compete in MMA against John Jones. That happens regularly in one. 
but you know, North Americans don't know the names. They don't know the, they don't necessarily understand that, but it's still an, uh, an amazing aspect of one and something I, I really appreciate and really get excited about. So after that, we had uh, Rock versus uh, Mahasamut. And this was a rematch. You know, Rock won the first encounter, but that was with big gloves. So it's always can be different with big gloves. And, you know, Rock's a current Channel 7, 115-pound champion and former 108-pound champion. And he's on a 10-fight win streak. So I'll let you guess who you think is favorited to win this fight. And, you know, Rock was a 108-pound champion. He looks like it. He looks like he's in a, a lower weight class than Mahasamu. But uh, as we know with Muay Thai, it's not necessarily about size. And uh, Rock showed that fighter spirit and why he's a multi-division champion. You know, he attacked the leg early and he dropped Mahasamu with the right hook. And, uh, you know, Mahasamu started to come back with the knees to the body, landed a nice combo that hurt Rock at the end of the round. And uh, his round two was much better. And he actually uh, he actually cut Rock pretty bad. But that for a guy like Rock, that didn't matter because uh, he started landing some crushing leg kicks to the body. And, uh, you know, he dropped Mahasamu pretty bad. Mahasamu was face down on the mat. The eight count was going. He wasn't moving at all. And then at, at about like 7.85 seconds, he shot up from the mat like the Undertaker and got back up and, and told the ref he was ready to fight, which I'm not sure why it did because Rock went over there and ripped him through the body about eight times in a row and answered and dropped him again for the for the TKO finish. But, hey, I I salute his courage, you know, and I – admire his determination i just question his intelligence you know so you know rock looked very dominant in that finish and uh he's an exciting fighter and uh i love watching that guy fight next fight was oppie wad versus dane kren guy and uh dane kren guy trains with super bond who's our flyweight champ of course and uh oppie wad was coming off the receiving end of uh et flying knee it's also the younger brother of Rachan, so he just saw his brother win. And this was a really close fight, you know, very technical, very hard to score, and it ended up going three rounds. Uh, Dan Kren guy got the decision, and, you know, in my opinion, just watching it as a fan, I think that was the right decision, you know. If Oppie would have got the decision, I don't necessarily think that would have been the right decision, but I wouldn't have fought it too bad because it was so close. And it's a great fight. It's nice. It's really, as much as I hype up the the um, finishes and the finish rate at one and, and how many fights never make it out of the first round, let me make this clear. The fights that go to a decision aren't usually boring. It's not like in North American MMA sometimes where guys are pushing each other up against the cage for 15 minutes and you're just waiting for it to be over. This fight, even though it went to decision, it was very entertaining to watch. It was very technical and, and there was exciting moments in it for sure. So hats off to both those guys. Our co-main, we had Kumawat versus Avatar. This is a rematch. Avatar was on a two-fight losing skid, so never good in uh, high, the highest level of competition. You know, and Avatar trains with the champ, Taiwan Chai, who was, you know, in there being interviewed. And, uh, you know, Avatar seemed like a man who was determined to, to not lose a third match. And, you know, I think that... Um, 
someone should remind Avatar that Muay Thai is the art of the eight limbs, right? We've all heard that fist, elbow, uh, knee, foot, you know, you got four of those on each side. That's eight limbs. Avatar was making this the art of the one limb, and that was his right elbow. You saw every single kind of of variation of the elbow strike possible, and it was repeated over and over again. And this was a total elbow war. I don't know if he thought that he was going to get a, a um, advantage by doing that. He was certainly taking a lot of damage. You know, doing those stepping elbows, you really open yourself up for strikes to the head and the body. But I guess he just thought this was his key to victory. And he he probably landed like over 100 elbows over the course of those nine minutes. And, you know, Kumawat, he must be made of steel. Because he got elbowed so much. And he didn't slow down one bit. It was really impressive, in fact. And, uh, you know, this was just a really amazing fight. and. In the end, Avatar, it went to decision. Avatar got the next decision. Um, it was an exciting fight just because it went to decision doesn't mean it wasn't exciting. And uh, Chacha agree with that, gave Avatar the uh, $10,000 bonus. So great fight, great co-main. And this is something I'm realizing about Friday Night Fights. You know, th this has happened like two weeks in a row. We've gotten like almost 10 or 11 straight finishes. And then the last couple of fights, there might be more decisions, but that's just because we're at the highest level. You know, when, when you're fighting, when guys who are fighting in Muay Thai are at that very highest level, you know, you're not always going to be able to get those guys out of there. They've been around the block. They know what they're doing. So it's, again, it's not a bad thing, you know, to have a decision, especially when a fight as uh, great as that. So the main event was a uh, 133 pound catch weight between Pom Tech, Pom Petch and Dwayne Sampong. Uh, a little background on Pompech. He's the uh, former Channel 7 champ, and he's on a four-fight win streak. And, uh, you know, if you would have asked me what I thought was going to happen, I thought we would have had a fight that would be similar to what I was just describing. I thought we would have had a technical back and forth that would have ended in a decision because these guys are both so high level, you know. And uh, Duong Sampong looked totally prepared for this for this fight you know he was in great shape he's a big guy he's long he's lengthy you know uh pom Petch is 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 a a really aggressive strong guy but doang Pong has some really nice uh physical attributes and uh so i thought you know we were going to see a long drawn out fight but uh you know pom Petch, he understood you know he doesn't get paid by the hour he gets paid by the fight and he went in there and uh he set up Duong Sampong with some kicks and uh, about a minute and 15 seconds into the fight, he landed a left hook from hell that put Duong Sampong onto the shadow realm. And uh, there wasn't even a question. They didn't even need to administer the account. Duong Sampong was out, out, and uh, they called it for, for Pompech in the first round. And, of course, obviously, you knock a guy out in the first minute and a half of a fight in the main event, you're going to get that 350000 bot bonus. So. so there we go. I think that was like something like 13 or 14 fights, maybe two decisions. The two decisions were both super exciting fights. You know, if you got, if you got friends who you think maybe they, maybe they 
lean towards more striking and stuff like that. Tell them about one Friday night fights because this is a, a consistent product that's going to deliver, you know, a lot of excitement and you don't have to be the most hardcore and knowledgeable fan. You don't even have to know who these guys are. You just watch them. This very fast pace, you know, there's not a lot of fluff. They're not telling us, showing a million videos, you know, tell, promoting the fights, the main event over and over again. You can just show up, pop it into your YouTube and have four hours of, of, of guys and, and, and ladies knocking each other out and doing some of the most technical striking in the world. So I'm a big fan of it. Uh, you know, I, 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 I support it, and I think that uh, you know anybody who's into uh, striking and MMA would probably be into this as well. So, hats off to all the competitors. Can't wait for next week. We're going to get all this action again next week. You know that's a, that's one of the best things about one is you get these this great exciting uh, product, and it's delivered to you weekly. The only time you don't get it is when there's a big international one fight. So. It's a great time to be an MMA fan. I mean, you're really spoiled for for choices. And in my opinion, you know, this one Friday night fights, as far as excitement, is one of the best choices you can make. All right. Looks like we have an ad read. You know, and I can't afford this lovely set that uh, the video viewers can see behind you. If you're listening on audio, I don't know. It looks like an empty room, maybe in like a, a drug rehab facility with a couple of shelves and a uh, the sign printed out on the printer paper stuck taped to the wall. But, you know, this is all made possible by our, our lovely sponsors. And we've had such great sponsors over the episodes, you know, Power Slap League and uh, most recently UFC Name on Canvas. But I have to say I'm quite proud of this new sponsor who we've partnered with. Because, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell you anything that I don't personally believe in. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Don't. That's not. I'm not being sarcastic. And, um, you know, this is a this is a brand I really believe in. So, our uh, our our sponsor this week is uh, Bellator MMA. And of course, as always, they have some copy here that uh, my uh, producer. Thank you. My producers provided me. Thank you for that. <clears throat> hey there, fight fans. Are you tired of watching all those young and exciting fighters in their physical prime over in the UFC? Well, have I got good news for you. Bellator MMA, where all those legendary fighters from the UFC go to keep their careers alive, is here. That's right. If you miss your favorite fighters after they lost three in a row and got booted from the big leagues, don't worry. Bellator's got them all. Remember Yoel Romero? He was pretty good four years ago. Now you can watch him slowly grapple with a 40-year-old Melvin Manhoff. The best part? The fights are in Paris, so if you're watching in the United States, it starts at 1 a.m. Don't worry about that. You could always watch it later on the sixth most popular viewing platform behind Crackle and the Pornhub app, Pluto TV. At least this week. Next week, you'll be on Facebook Live or some other place. Watching Bellator MMA is like finding the world's best-kept secret. No one knows how to watch it. It's like being part of an exclusive club. You feel like a true MMA connoisseur, flaunting your insider knowledge to all your Dana-humping Homer friends who are stuck in the UFC bubble with their world-class talent and 98% of the best fighters in the Western Hemisphere. Whatever that means. 
But wait, there's more. <laughs> there's always more. People say that Bellator is an MMA retirement home, but that's not completely true. We also have top upcoming talent from places like Dagestan. How exotic. We have homegrown superstars such as, oh boy, am I supposed to say these? I have to. Uh, yeah, okay. Homegrown superstars such as Ramazam Kuramagamedov. How about Muhammad Khabib Kadzi Mahamedow? There you go. You know, you know, Muhammad, Muhammad Khabib Khazidah Mahamedov. And uh, who could forget the legendary, uh, soon to be famous uh, fighter, Dovled Zan Yagshi Muradov. Uh, these are all going to be North American household names very soon, folks. Those are actually real fighters from Bellator. <laughs> I didn't make any of those up. <laughs> Remember the referee from the UFC? He's with us now. Not as a referee, a commentator. Uh, most MMA organizations only have one Brazilian fighter with the nickname Pitbull, but we have two. They're brothers. Uh, so, folks, if you're looking for a unique MMA experience filled with surprises, nostalgia, and a touch of uncertainty, tune into Balance MMA. It's the wildest ride in the fight game. Who needs predictability when you have unpredictability, right? And we are proud to announce Bellator 297, Friday, June 16th on Showtime. You've definitely heard of Showtime. They had movies. They're like a less successful HBO competitor. Prelims on Pluto, of course, uh, or maybe Facebook TV. And uh, here's the, the big fights on there. Yoel Romero is fighting a guy from Russia. Pettis is fighting one of those Pitbull brothers. I'm not sure which one. And also, it's the less popular Pettis brothers, so don't get too excited. <laughs> and then, just a few short two and a half months later, we'll have, an, have another exciting event. <laughs> Either way, just please watch this event. We are, uh, we are completely bankrupt. Viacom has lost all faith in Scott Coker. We're pretty sure that the PFL is not going to get that money from the Middle East to buy the company. And there's a lot of nervous people here at the Bellator front office. Guess it's hard times all around. Either way, I'd like to once again thank my sponsors, Bellator MMA, Bellator 297, Friday, June 6th, 16th. I don't have showtime, so I won't be watching, but I'll definitely watch three to five minutes of highlights on YouTube after the fact. Thank you very much. And now back to the show. <clears throat> All right, and we're back. Let's see what we got here. Decisions, decisions. All right, going to go with the Apple Jasmine Boochcraft for our uh, audio-only listeners. This um, the Sahard kombucha with seven percent alcohol. So I'm sure my uh, my analysis will be razor sharp. Oh yeah. Okay, so we also had uh, UFC over the weekend, fight night, Dern versus Hill. And, uh, you know, before I say anything about this event, before I get too into the analysis and I, um, you know, uh, raise any concerns I have about the card, I just have to say off the bat, this card was great. You know, I felt like uh, 
this was one of those old school UFC cards where, you know, it was just action from beginning to end. And, you know, part of that is due to the the fighters that were on the card. You know, you, you, there was some really great matchmaking done on the UFC's end. And you saw a lot of great finishes. And uh, I'll just go through it here. Decision, <clears throat> TKO, first round TKO, decision, decision, TKO, decision, TKO, KO, TKO, decision, TKO, decision. So about a 50% finish rate. That's pretty good for the UFC. And, uh, you know, a lot of those fights that did go to a decision were awesome. They were great fights. So, you know, this just goes to show you that it doesn't have to be a pay-per-view and you don't have to have the biggest stars in the UFC from top to bottom to make a great card. You can't just throw anybody in there. The The matchmaking has to be thoughtful and has to, you have to use talent and you have to use people that um, are going to complement one, one another, but you could have these smaller cards, these ones that are in the apex, these, these cards that, you know, aren't on pay-per-view and have awesome fights a ton of awesome fights like we had uh, tonight. So the UFC did a great job. <clears throat> Obviously, you know, uh, I'm a big UFC fan and it really delights me to see these, these kind of cards. To me, there's, there's two different kinds of really great, like apex shows, like these, these little shows there's, there's these kind where they just have a bunch of really good fighters and, you know, they're not the type of fighters that would normally headline a card. Like, you know, Angela Hill probably wouldn't, you know, be a co-main or even opening up the pay-per-view on a card, but on the Apex, she's perfect for the the main event. So it's not like the biggest name talent, but it's just fighters who are really good and entertaining fighters. That's the first kind of, of Apex uh, show that I like. The second one is the kind where you see future talent. You get to see guys opening up the fights that are going to be headlining pay-per-views someday. And, you know, that's a thrill in and of itself. So there's a lot of ways that these these – these Apex cards can be great and can be memorable. Now, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, there's a lot of ways they could be just a real drag and a real a real suck out of four hours out of our day. But uh, fortunately, this one wasn't one of those. It was great. And, uh, you know, I just want to call that out from the beginning. <clears throat> so the other, the, other, the other thing I'll have to call out from the beginning is uh, some issues with weight cutting. Uh, we had two fighters miss weight, and we uh, we had a total of three catchweight bouts. And, uh, you know, we had some fighters miss weight on the UFC card last week, too. You know, Gil Gilbert Urbina had an amazing fight, and, uh, you know, really, it was kind of like a coming out party for him. But uh, that fight had to be at a catch weight, 172.5. Uh, Carolina Kovalkiewicz fought to, to Vanessa Demopoulos at 117.5 pounds. And then uh, Lupe Godinez fought Emily uh, Ducote at 120 pounds. So not all those are like the fighter missing weight. Some of them are just that 
hey, this fight's on short notice. I can't get down to the weight at that point. But I hope someday that that uh, there's a realization in North American MMA that's like, we don't have to do this. We don't have to cut the weight. We could just fight at our normal weight class. There's a way to make sure that fighters are fighting at their normal weight class. I don't necessarily think it has to be the way that 1FC is doing it with the, with the urine tests, I think. You know, one way to do that would be to check the fighters regularly in camp and before and after their fight and just make sure that they have a consistent weight the whole time. But the way, the way to not do it is the way we're doing it now where we're having fighters cut a lot of weight and they're missing weight. And um, then their, their wins don't mean as much when they do win. And we're having fights canceled 24 hours before the fight. We're having fighters have bad performance because their weight cut. It takes away from the, uh, it takes away from the product and it doesn't add anything to the product. We're not getting a better product because people are cutting weight. So I really hope it's something we, we don't have to see for the entirety of the sport. That's something that, uh, you know, they, they wake up to in North America and they, they get the same understanding that, uh, that Chatri and one FC has in regards to, to, to that. Uh, so with all that being said, there's some great fights. You know, I just want to call out Natalie Silva. <clears throat> Natalie Silva fought on the uh, second fight of the night. She got a first round uh, uh, TKO punches and head kick. And uh, Natalie Silva is a woman's flyweight. She looks like she's about 16 years old. She looks like a sweet little girl, uh, but she's not a sweet little girl. She's a violent killer. And... Uh, She's young and athletic, and she looked great in her fight against uh, Victoria Leonardo. She's got a couple of fights racked up now. And, uh, you know, I really think they need to keep her busy. That women's straw weight is, uh, or uh, women's flyweight is shaping up to be a pretty exciting division in the UFC. So I hope we can keep these young fighters like uh, Natalia Silva busy. Uh, she looks great. We saw Chase Hooper at a uh, new weight class. Hooper looks great. He looks like he's coming into his size. Of course, he's still dangerous as ever on the ground. So be interesting to see what we have for Chase Hooper in the future. Gilbert Urbina, I mentioned the uh, the uh, weight miss in that fight. But uh, Urbina, you know, he looks like a whole different fighter uh, from when he was on the Ultimate Fighter. I wasn't too impressed with him on the Ultimate Fighter. He did make it to the finals. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say I'm not too impressed, but... He doesn't look like he didn't look like a guy who's going to be out there and uh, competing in the top fifteen, and he absolutely uh, crushed a, uh, a highly touted prospect in Ryan Kosi. Now Kosi, he's got his own problems. He can't seem to make weight. He'll have to get that figured out. But Urbina really looked impressive there, and let's see if we get that guy in a card in Texas or something like that. He's got a lot of charisma. I'd like to see him. Like to see him fight more. Carolina Kovalkiewicz, you know, this is a fighter that I've watched for a long time. As I said, you know, I'm a big fan of women's MMA. I follow, um, you know, it as closely as I do of men's MMA. And, uh, you know, you talk about someone who's had an amazing career. It's Carolina Kovalkiewicz. Now, all those wins haven't, all those fights haven't been wins. But uh, let me read off some names for you. Ronda Marcos. Rose Namajunas, Joanna Anjacek, Claudia Gedalia, 
Felice Herring, Jessica Andrade, Michelle Watterson, Alexa Grasso, Yanshao Nan, Jessica Penne, Felice Herring, Silviana Gomez Juarez, Jessica, Vanessa Dimopoulos. You know, there was a time where uh, Kovacavich was on a five-fight losing streak. That five-fight losing streak was started by a first-round KO by Jessica Andrade, and then she lost four more after that. So we we probably thought maybe this is the end of, of the career for her, but uh, she had other plans, and, uh, you know, she just looked very impressive out there, and I'm excited to see what's next for her. It's cool to see these fighters who have been around for, you know, 10-plus years in the UFC come back and, and uh, show they still got it. You know, speaking of people who have been around the UFC for a long time, you know, Michael Johnson is one of those dudes that's just like a fighter's fighter, you know. He's never headlined a card. He's never fought for a title, but – this guy's been in there and he's been there, done that, and got the t shirt, whatever. So I'll do the same for him. James Krauts, Paul Sass, Tony Ferguson, got the win over Tony Ferguson, Danny Castillo, Miles Jury, Joe Lozon, Glyson Tebow, Melvin Gillard, Edson Barbosa, Benil Dariush, Nate Diaz. Dustin Poirier got the win over Dustin. Khabib, Gaethje, Elkins, Andre Feely, Artem Lobov, Josh Emmett, Stevie Ray, Tiago Moises, Clay Guida, Alan Patrick, Jamie Malarkey, Mark DeCasey, and, of course, we know Carlos Diego Fajeda. Who's in the UFC that has as impressive as of uh, – list of competitors. I mean, there's probably some out there, but not a lot. And uh, this is a guy with a lot of wins over big UFC fighters. Got a lot of losses too, especially lately. A lot of red over the last, you know, five or six years. But you talk about a guy who's been there and uh, done it with just about everybody. That's uh, Michael Johnson. And I got a lot of respect for that guy. Uh, another guy I have a lot of respect for is Carlos Diego Fajeda because Carlos Diego Fajeda hit an overhand right on Michael Johnson that sent him to the shadow realm. When I say out cold, that doesn't even begin to describe it. Johnson was asleep before he hit the canvas. His legs were crossed. His arms were straight up in the air. I saw a Bellator event in Chicago once where a guy got knocked out and he was out on the mat for a few very uncomfortable minutes uh, before he, he eventually got up. And I imagine that's probably how it was at the Apex. It was probably quite uncomfortable. There, there was even a scene where you could see uh, Henry Hooped in the background while Michael Johnson was passed out, and it was quite uncomfortable. So it sounds like Johnson's okay. You know, he was eventually able to, uh, to uh, walk out on his own power. But, man, Fajeda, you know, game plan – meets talent, meets, meets uh, excellence of execution, and must be great for that guy, a guy who, you know, is kind of an unsung hero of this division. There's so much talent in the lightweight division. It's so hard to get ahead. And this guy, you know, he's got his own gym, and he drives nine hours to train uh, uh, during fight camp and, you know, just been doing it for a long time. So to get a marquee knockout like that, I mean, obviously, you know, you watch that and you're like, oh, that's going to be fight of the night, knockout of the night. Well, I forgot that 
we've got Joaquin Buckley fighting on the same card. And, uh, you know, we all know about, uh, we all know about Joaquin Buckley's highlight spinning back kick KO. And I have to say this, this head kick they landed on Andre Fialio. It's not as sweet as that, but it was pretty sweet. You know, this fight was definitely going back and forth. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, uh, really exciting striking going on, but Joaquin Buckley showed the kind of power and and physique he has. I mean, what a physique, you know. That guy's got a pretty hot bod, you know. I guess he's going to be like my babe of the night, you know. Joaquin Buckley, he's he's got a real set of uh, real set of pecs on him, and uh, you know he used all that uh, all that manly muscle mass to uh, to land a head kick on Fialio and it was, it was super impressive. And, uh, he's going to be a problem at welterweight, you know, he was always, he was always undersized in middleweight. And this is a weight class that he's going to, he's going to be able to impose his physicality on guys in a, in a major way, in a major way. He, uh, he kind of reminds me of a Tyron Woodley as far as his physicality. You know, there was when Tyron Woodley was the champion, there was a big part of the ride. People couldn't beat him, couldn't stop him was his physicality. Of course, he was a talented fighter and a talented wrestler. But when it comes down to it, when you're in the clinch, when you're, when you're trying to push somebody off of you and you can't do it, that's a big part of fighting. And Joaquin Buckley has that. And he's going to be a problem at Walter Wade. So can we just say that Fajeda and Buckley are going to share the, like, we'll give them each $50,000 for that knockout. You know, the real winner is us because this fight card, you know, it's just getting better and better. So we also had in catchweight action, uh, Lupita Godinez versus Emily Ducote. And uh, Lupita Godinez is a fighter that's been on my radar for a while. She's Mexican, but she grew up in uh, Canada and she uh, wrestles. She's been wrestle, uh, wrestling since she was a young young girl. And her she also has sisters that wrestle. Um, I think they even uh, wrestled on the uh, Olympic qualifying team. So she's got really impressive uh, credentials uh, in this division. And the rumor was after the fight that she had been sick, at least that's what she claimed. You know, it wasn't the most impressive win, but it shows you that what uh, Lupita Godinez is capable of. And she's on, she's on a pretty good run. She's uh, four and five in her last five uh, fights. The, the only loss is to Angela Hill, who we know is a beast. You know, that one was also at catch weight. This fight was at a catch weight. You know, just kind of, uh, kind of uh, exemplifies some of those issues I was talking about earlier, uh, having to do with weight cutting in the in the UFC. And uh, you know, her her fight previous to this was against Cynthia Calvillo, and she beat Cynthia Calvillo by decision. She's she's an impressive fighter, and she's training out of that same gym <clears throat> as uh, as as the champion Alexa Grasso. And the uh, soon-to-be champion, Irene Aldana. So I just want to get that out of the way right now, you know. I do think that Irene Aldana is going to beat Amanda Nunez, you know. I know that fight's still still a week or two out, but I think it's Irene Aldana's time. I think we will be in a situation where we'll have a Mexican champion at flyweight. We'll have a Mexican champion 
at uh, women's flyweight. We'll have a Mexican champion at women's bantamweight. And, you know, it's possible a year or two from now that we could see Lupita Godinez as the champion at strawweight. So it's possible that at the, at the three women's divisions, or at least the three that man, man, uh, matter, strawweight, flyweight, and bantamweight, we could have all Mexican champions all from the same gym. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I think that uh, if you're looking for a dog to bet on against Amanda Nunez, Irene Aldana has the skill set and is primed to do that upset. So just wanted to get that out of the way so when it happens, you know, we, we've got it on record and then uh, you can encourage everybody to like and subscribe because I called it. But what's special about Lupita Godinez? Well, what's special about her is her skill set. You know, she's an incredible wrestler and she can mix it in with the MMA really well. And if you're an incredible wrestler at women's draw weight, there's a lot of favorable matchups for you. I'll, 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 I'll read off the, the, uh, some of her potential opponents after this fight, people in the top 15. You tell me, you tell me if a strong wrestler would be advantageous in that matchup. Luana Pinero. That's a wrestler is going to do really good against a fighter like Luana. Amanda Hibas. I think. Lupi Godinez wins that fight nine times out of ten. Marina Rodriguez, that'd be a great fight for her. She's number eight. She's coming off a loss. That'd be a great fight. Verna Janjadoba, another good one. Jessica Andraj, Amanda Limos, Jan Shaunan, Rose Namajunas. You know, when you go up, there's a lot of fights that I think Lupi Godinez would be favored in over the competition. Now there's some fights she wouldn't be favored in, namely Tatiana Suarez, but that's because I believe that Tatiana Suarez is probably the person who's most prime to take over this women's strawweight division. But it's just a matter of the matchups that are going to be made. You know, a a, a strong grappler, a strong wrestler is going to really do well in this division. So whether it's Lupi Godinez or it's Tatiana Suarez, I think one of those two is going to be your champion within a year, year and a half time, you know, barring, barring any injuries. And her fight was great. You know, she was sick. She didn't put on the performance we typically see, and she still got the unanimous decision. So that shows you just how dominant she is. Hopefully they could keep her busy. They could get her uh, fights with a little bit more notice. So we're not having to do these catchweight bouts and uh, she'll be able to string a couple of wins together and, and keep her career moving. Anthony Hernandez versus Edmund Shabazian. So if y'all remember, Shabazian was a guy who was highly touted when he came into the UFC. You know, he, he trains at the same gym as Ronda Rousey used to train at. And, uh, you know, this kid was all the hype. And, you know, his, his first couple of fights, he, he, looked really, he looked really good. And then he struggled recently and now he's kind of like on a comeback uh he took some time off and and he's looking really good now and uh he's he was just kind of like this guy who was like one of the promised sons of mma you know of the ufc a guy who was destined to do big things and you know i imagine that a guy like this probably had that for most of his life you know when he was coming up you know getting into sports and uh 
you know, in, in, in California, um, being Armenian and, and growing up in a, in an Armenian, uh, neighborhood of Southern California where, uh, kickboxing and striking as part of the part of the culture there was probably a lot of emphasis placed on this kid and he he was probably told he was going to do great things and then when he got to the UFC they told him he was going to do great things uh someone who probably didn't have that told to them someone who probably wasn't promised great things was uh Anthony Hernandez you know I'm pretty sure this guy got into MMA to 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 lose weight and to you know stay in shape and you know, he probably didn't have anybody telling him when he was growing up that he was going to do great things uh, in combat sports. But, you know, I have a firm belief that uh, martial arts, it's not really about physicality. Uh, there's people who there's people who do great in the gym and, and people think they're destined for great things. But when it comes time to compete, they can't get out of their own way. I really think that the uh, the fight game is not like 50-50 physical and mental. It's 100% mental. You could be someone who's not the most gifted athletically, but if you have the right mindset, you're going to do great in this sport. And that was on exhibit during this fight right here. Because Anthony Hernandez, although he looks in a lot better shape for this fight, he's not the most gifted guy athletically, and he he – isn't like from some heralded gym, but he has what it takes. He has the mental side of it. And he saw that in this fight, you know, Shabazzian hurt Anthony Hernandez in the first round. He used the jab and uh, it looked like Shabazzian was cruising towards a victory. It looked like this thing wasn't even going to get out of the first. And the dif the difference is, is that when Hernandez was hurt, he he embraced that. He smiled. He put up the peace sign and he got right back into the fight, you know, and he wasn't deterred at all. And he actually turned it around at the end of the first and and laid some hurt on Shabazian. And after that, that's all it took. It was all Hernandez after that. You know, the second round, Hernandez got on top of him, hurt him, nearly submitted him. It got to the point where the referee was saying, at the end of the second round that Shabazian, you know, he's going to really have to show something to the referee. Otherwise he was going to stop it. And whatever he showed him wasn't enough because Hernandez got on top of him in the third and finished Shabazian off. And we could see Shabazian's a great athlete. He, 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 he can have success in the UFC, but the problem is not with his, physical attributes or his ability or anything like that. It's what's between his ears. It's how he responds when the going gets tough. And I'm not saying this guy's, you know, weak or anything like that. He's tougher than me. Anybody who goes in the UFC and fights is, is 10 times tougher than the average Joe Blow, you know, going into their office job and, you know, listening to, listening to this podcast. The, the, he's not, he's not weak. But there's levels to this game. And the weakest part, the weakest aspect of his game is his mental fortitude. And it just so happens that he went up against an opponent whose strongest attribute is his mental fortitude in Fluffy for Hernandez, you know. So Fluffy's going to need to get some, some good competition in his next 
couple of fights because this is a guy that's showing that he could get into that top 15 and he can have a a lot of career growth in the next year or two and i'm all for it this guy delivers he puts on exciting fights i want to see more of them more fluffy hernandez love that dude all right and then we had the main event of the night you know this was uh this was supposed to be co-main from last weekend's fight card and it was moved to this one so Anthony Hernandez and Shabazian were actually supposed to headline and Angela Hill and, uh, and Mackenzie Dern, uh, ended up headlining this one, which is, you know, I think it turned out great. We ended up having a a five round decision. So it it was good that they got those extra rounds in. So before I start saying anything about this fight, you know, Anybody who listens to this podcast knows I love women's MMA. And that's not just because I look at like looking at women when they're in their booty shorts. You know, y'all haters keep saying that. It's not the case. I do like looking at nice butts in MMA, but that's not the reason I like women's MMA. Women's MMA is such a cool sport. You know, it's, it's in my opinion, the only sport where the competition level and the excitement factor is... Uh, I'll, I'll say that the excitement factor is as high for the women as it is for the men. You know, there's, there's women's MMA matches that are just, they're thrilling. They're amazing. They do. They have the same thing. They have the knockouts, they have the submissions, they have the back and forth. And, um, you know, physically women aren't necessarily as big or as strong as men, but the, when they're in the cage and they're fighting, they deliver a product that can be just as, as exciting. And I'm just a big supporter of it. You know, I wish, I wish more, uh, girls and young women were interested in MMA that, that it was more of a thing here in North America where, uh, the way, the way it is in Thailand and other countries where young women want to get into this sport when they're at a younger age, you know, I, I wish it would grow at a faster rate than, than it is. And when you talk about women, women fighters, there's, there's a ton of them that I really, that I am really a big fan of, but one of them at the top of my list is Angela Hill. You know, Angela Hill is a fighter's fighter. You know, if you like, if you like fights, you should like Angela Hill and, you know, Hill doesn't have the prettiest record. You know, I think she's, she's around a 500 fighter, but there's a reason for that. You know, there's a reason there's a reason she's a 500 fighter. It's because she's fought everybody. She's never said no to a fight. And, you know, the numbers, the numbers show that. So they, they had on the broadcast a little, a little uh, statistic here. Angela Hill has the third most significant strikes in the UFC. That's not among women. That's in the UFC period. So there's Frankie Edgar and Max Holloway. And behind Frankie Edgar and Max Holloway is Angela Hill. And then on top of that, this is only her second five-round fight. You know, the, Frankie Edgar got up there, not taking anything from Frankie Edgar, but, you know, he had a ton of title fights that went to decision um, and a ton of main events that did. You know, they, this that shows you this is her second five-round fight, and she has the third most significant strikes in the UFC. It's, it's just impressive. It's just cool. I love her. She's, she's great. She's talented. She's all, she's exciting. And the fans should love her because she always says yes to the fights. She never, she never turns it down and she's fought everybody. You know, when you say, when you say yes to, to every fight, you're going to fight everybody. Let's see who Angela, 
Angela Hill has fought. And you tell me if she's if she deserves the the love and respect of the, of the fans. By the way, she's been fighting in the UFC since 2017, and then she fought. She actually had two stints. That's right. She had two stints. She came off the Ultimate Fighter. She was two and zero at the time. She was on the Ultimate Fighter. Had two fights in the UFC. She fought Tisha Torres and Rose Namajunas. She lost both of those, so they cut her. So she went out to Invicta, and she got four wins in a row. Came back. Her first fight back in the UFC, she fought Jessica Andrade. After that, she fought Ashley Yoder, Nina Ansarov, Myra Monroe, Courtney Casey, Ronda Marcos, Yan Xiaonan, Hannah Cyphers, Claudia Gedalia, Michelle Waterson, Ashley Yoder again, Tisha Torres again, Amanda Leno, uh, Verna Janjajoba, Lupita Godinez, beat Lupita Godinez, and we all know how strongly I feel about Lupita Godinez, Emily Ducati, and Mackenzie Dern. That's a pretty impressive, that's a pretty impressive career. And she's not done yet, so I just wanted to start by calling calling that out and 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 you know bringing that to everybody's attention that she's an incredible fighter and and she deserves all of our respect. Now, that being said, Mackenzie Darn beat that ass. <laughs> you know, there's a question about Mackenzie Dern's like like she's a great jujitsu practitioner. I mean, there's two questions. The first question is about like why in early interviews, she doesn't have uh, a Brazilian, like Portuguese accent. You know, she sounds just like a basic white chick. And then later on, she, now she has an accent. That's the first question. I don't have the answer to that. You got to ask Ariel Hawani. That's like his big investigation, but that is true. Look it up YouTube. Uh, the second question is, does, Mackenzie Dern have the mental mental toughness to compete in this sport. Does she have the discipline? Uh, weight cutting had been an issue for her. You know, she jumped around a little bit in weight classes. And there's also a question about toughness. You know, there had been rumors that Mackenzie would, when she first started training MMA, she would she would cry in between sparring sessions because it was too emotional for her. And you know, for the promotion for this fight, there was a lot of uh, showing Mackenzie Dern pushing weight sleds and doing doing CrossFit and stuff like that. And the question was, is that promotion or is she going to be at a whole nother level with her physicality? Well, she was at a whole nother level. You know, you could see she was physically a lot stronger than Angela Hill. Now, when it comes to striking, Angela Hill's on a whole nother level. She's a Muay Thai expert, you know, the same way that Mackenzie Dern got her third degree black belt. Angela Hill's a third degree black belt in Muay Thai. But in MMA, it's not about your skill set. It's about how you can implement it. And Mackenzie Dern was able to implement her physicality. And when the threat is so severe on the ground, when you know that everybody else in the division does not want to go to the ground with you, you could throw whatever you want. Whereas Angela Hill has to worry about takedowns. She has to worry about, you know, getting caught in something and getting taken down and getting submitted. So her striking has to be on point. It has to be straightforward. She has to be moving backwards. She has to be thinking about the takedown. She has to be thinking about the trips. All Mackenzie Dern has to be thinking about is knocking, knocking 
Angela Hill out. And you could see that with her striking. And that's not to say that her striking wasn't good. It wasn't as clean as Angela Hill's, but it had a lot of power. And the fact that she was able to throw it over five rounds was very impressive. You know, the other thing going into this fight is that Mackenzie Dern just got divorced from her husband. And I think her husband was like a professional surfer or something like that. And they have a child together, a daughter, Moa. And they were saying on the commentary, like, oh, you know, maybe she's mad about maybe she's like mad at her ex-husband and after the divorce. And and that's why she's fighting so aggressively. Like she's mad. It's like, come on, anybody who's been married or in a long relationship knows like, that's not why she was fighting aggressively. She was fighting aggressively um, because she wanted to get a win. You know, I can only imagine what it was like for Mackenzie Dern to be married to this like pro surfer, and she's in such like an opposite world. She's a she's a professional fighter. She's going in there. Her her day job, people are trying to kick her in the head and separate her consciousness. And she's married to some uh pro surfer who's going out there and uh catching catching massive swells, bro. And uh, you know, when you're in a relationship for a long time, you start to realize that uh People don't really change, you know, they just do shit that annoys you and you either put up with it or you, you don't. And I can only imagine what it's like to be Mackenzie Dern, to be married to a guy, to have a kid together and have all that annoying shit that was bubbling over. You're in training camp. You're, 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 you're coming back from, from the gym exhausted. You know, maybe you, you've been getting, uh, doing wrestling practice or something like that. And then you got this annoying uh, surfer dude at your house who doesn't understand what you're going through and, and just does annoying stuff to you. And the, the joy she must've felt after they got divorced, that she doesn't have to put up with those annoying habits that she's dealt with for the last couple of years. I don't think she was angry. I think she was overjoyed and she was able to focus on her career and focus on her sport and not have to deal with, the annoyance of a partner who she's not happy with anymore. So I just wanted to call that out. I don't think it's that she was angry at all. I think that the reason you saw a good performance out of her is she didn't have the distraction of someone who was trying to hold her back, you know, in her ex-husband. And, you know, Kenzie Dern, such a babe, you know. So I know you're single now, you know. If you're looking for a handsome, successful podcaster, you know, hit me up. You know how to find me. You got YouTube. Anyways, Dern looked super impressive. And the scorecards tended to agree. You know, it, Angela Hill did a great job of surviving to the end. You know, most other fighters in her division would not have done that. They would have looked for an easier way out. But, you know, Angela Hill's a killer. She's not going to do that. But the, the fight card definitely reflected, the scorecard definitely reflected what a one-sided fight it was. You know, 49-43, 49-44, and 49-44. That's about as one-sided as it gets. As I said earlier, she got a third-degree black belt, well-deserved. You know, before this, I would have said the fight with uh, Anthony Hernandez and Edmund Shabazian was fight of the night. It's hard to say now, you know. That was a one-sided fight, but man, a lot of excitement in that fight. The reality is, as I said before, this was an amazing fight card. The UFC still got it. They 
They're the, they're the best for a reason. They're number one in North America for a reason. What an amazing fight card. And, and the coolest thing for me is all, all the excitement that's, that's coming with these matchups for Mackenzie Dern. You know, we got Tatiana Suarez out there. Like, come on, that's how, how much more exciting of a, of a ground competition could that be? And I'm really, I'm really looking forward to whatever uh, they have next for her. I hope that the UFC does some good uh, matchups for her and uh, congrats to her. Congrats on the, uh, on the uh, divorce, you know, you know where to find me, babe. I'll be, I'll be a great stepdad to uh, daughter Moa. Just, you know, you know where to find me. Congrats. So that was the UFC fight. Uh, great job by the team over over there. Awesome event. Really, uh, really good stuff. And and you know, it shows you. You know, they they still got it. They can still put on good events. It's just a matter of matchmaking. I really believe that. All right. So we also have some news that we're going to cover here at the end. And I guess the biggest news going on is, you know, after this event, after this UFC event. Dana in the post-fight press conference didn't take long for him to start talking about Francis and he had some choice words and uh, you know, we could, we could check that out. We could take a look at what, what Dana had to say. So Dana White rips into Francis Ngannou's exclusive partnership with the PFL saying it makes no sense to me with the former UFC champion set to be a pro boxer before he makes his, his MMA return. So basically, people were asking uh, Dana at the post-fight presser what he thought of the deal. And, you know, they, it, Dana's response was, it was very Dana White. So I just want to say, I'm working on a Dana White impression. It's going to be great, um, but it's not quite ready yet. So just in your mind, imagine Dana White's voice. So he said... Based on what I know about the deal, which is not much, it makes no sense to me. He went on to say, you're going to pay a guy not to fight for a year. It's already been like 14 months. He's fought three times in the last year, three years. It's just not what we do here. It's not what we do here. And the day that we released him, I knew exactly what was going to happen. So a couple of things about that. He, he's, he's talking about the, the time, you know, which is true. You know, people lose interest over time, but. This is heavyweight, and I don't think it matters as much. It's it's not like it's not like Francis is a one thirty five er. You know, we've had we've had heavyweight champions in the UFC who were in their forties. What forty year old is going to fight for the featherweight title? Go ahead, I'll comments below. And then he says, it's "Just not what we do here. It's not what we do." Well, I guarantee you, if Francis had a better better relationship with the UFC and Tyson Fury came to Dana White and said, Hey, me and Francis have worked out a deal that the UFC is going to profit from similar to the way that Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor worked out a deal to box. Dana wouldn't say, he would not say no to that. He would say, sounds great. Here's where you could send the check. He also said that they released that they released Francis. Francis fought out his contract. Um, that seems like a nitpick, but it's kind of significant. You know, Francis Ngannou, he, 
he fought for the title against Stipe and lost. And that was surprising for everybody. I think I think people thought that Francis was going to win that fight. I thought Francis was going to win that fight. You know, I think most people did. And and uh, you know, he had, he had to get a couple wins in there to get back to title con- contention. So let's take a look at at Francis Ngannou UFC career. So he beat Alistair Overeem to get the title title shot in December of 2017. Lost to Stipe Miocic in January of 2018, a month later. Then a couple of months later, he lost to Derek Lewis. You know, not great. But then let's let's see what he did after that. Curtis Blades, TKO punches 45 seconds into the first round. Cain Velasquez, you heard of that guy before? KO punches 26 seconds into the first round. Junior Dos Santos. Is he a good fighter? Is he good? I can't remember. Junior Dos Santos. K- TKO, round one, one minute, 11 seconds. Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Rosenstrike had five fights and five wins in his first year in the UFC. KO punches, round one, 20 seconds. Stipe Miocic, KO, punches 52 seconds into the second round. Shiro Gan, decision, UFC 270. Okay, so that first fight against Stipe back at UFC 220 in 2018, if if Ngannou would have won that and gone on this streak, knocking out Curtis Blades, Cain Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos, Jarzinho, all in the first round, beating Stipe again, he would be the greatest heavyweight of all time. There'd be no question about it. But because he had the loss, actually the two losses in a row, those weren't title defenses, so they're not looked at with the same way. But, I mean, come on. One, two, three, four, four first-round finishes, all with the longest one lasting a minute and 11 seconds. And then he beats Stipe in the rematch. And then he defeats Cyril Gan, the hottest prospect, you know, the number one contender, the the uh, the champion, you know, with with a torn ACL, with no with no cartilage in his knees. And not only did he beat him, he he expanded on his game and out wrestled him. So any effort by the UFC by Dana White to discredit this guy or to say that he's not a good fighter is crazy. And the that they said that they released him is kind of crazy too. They didn't release him. He fought a ton for the UFC. He went in there and destroyed guys. And he fought out his contract because he wanted to do other things. He wanted to make more money. He wasn't happy with his contract there. And I get that. I mean... He he's a special athlete. He's he's a big star. He should be able to get paid what he's worth. We all saw how much the UFC made last year. They just did a a report a 10k for their business. And for those who don't know what a 10k is, it's like the uh, like a summary statement for profits for a company, and that's what Endeavor had to do because they're a public company. And the UFC made something in the in the uh, realm of 
uh, $350 million in profit. That's not income. That's profit. That's after their expenses. They made that much. So they could have paid Francis a little bit more. But you pay Francis a little bit more. You pay John Jones a little bit more. You pay, you know, Israel a little bit more. You pay a couple more guys a little bit more. Then suddenly your profit isn't $350 million. It's a lot less. And we all know Endeavor can use every penny they can get to, to cover the cost of that of that WWE deal. So if they're going to say that they released him, that's not accurate. He fought out his contract because he wanted to make more money. So I'm on his side for that. He did fight out his contract. He wanted to make more money. Let's see what else Dana has to say. Francis wants to take zero risk, doesn't want to take any chances, and he obviously didn't want to take a chance with John Jones. And after we saw what happened with Cyril Gahn, I don't blame him. Why does Dana do this? You know? Why why does why does he have his own athletes put down? You know, we know that the reason that that Francis left the UFC wasn't because he was afraid of John Jones. He was calling for the John Jones fight, and Dana did the same thing to John Jones when when Francis was on top. He said. John Jones shouldn't come out of retirement because of how good Francis is. See what I'm saying here? It's it's a ploy. This is a a a business decision to to put these guys down to make comments like this. You know, um, I guess maybe for some fans they might hear that. For some of the audience might hear that, and they might think, yeah, maybe it's true. You know. Francis Ngannou is afraid of John Jones or whatever, but I don't think there's a lot of validity to it. I don't think either guy's afraid of either one. You know, I think they want to maximize the last couple of years of their career and make the most money they can. He said, I'm sure the outcome would have been the same, and I'm sure most of you do, and I'm sure Francis does too. So then Danny goes on to say, I'm hearing that they're raising money right now. 283 million, 300 million. I don't know what the number is from the Middle East. And I've done a lot of business in the Middle East. Those guys are sharp. It's all true. He says, who the hell would give them 280 million? Because I'm hearing they're buying Bellator, right? Uh, For those of you who have never checked out the Todd Atkins show, go to Todd Atkins show on Patreon, subscribe. Todd Atkins was the uh, first podcaster to break that news. A lot of people have regurgitated it. Few have given him credit. He's got an excellent, excellent podcast. I highly recommend it. Todd can show on YouTube and on all the platforms. Uh, I don't know him personally, but his show's his show's great. Who the hell would give them two hundred eighty million? Because we're here. I'm hearing they're buying Bellator, right? Yeah, that would be my guess. It'd be my guess that PFL's buying Bellator. Why wouldn't they? That's more talent for them. That's, you know, they, they're in a growth. They're in, they're in a process of growth right now. They're trying to expand their, their product and they're trying to get more fighters and they're trying to put on more events and they're trying to get more top talent. So why wouldn't you buy Bellator? And, you know, this is the thing that I think as casual MMA fans, a lot of people don't understand and Dana White likes to exploit this. 
and not just him, you know, uh, this happens in the MMA media too. People try to exploit this. There's companies out there that we think of as very successful companies that have never made any profit. Huge tech companies, you know, your Amazons of the world, your, your, your Teslas, you know, and they stay afloat by investors investing in them because they think there's going to be a return someday. They think that company's going to go public and all of the stock that they've gotten from investing in the company is going to be worth a ton of money, but it's kind of like a risk. You know, there's companies, tech companies that have been in business for 10 years and never turned a profit. Huge companies, you know, Amazon, I think only makes a profit in one division. That's their Amazon web service. I don't think any of their other divisions, Amazon prime, all those, the company that everybody uses to get their, 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 all their stuff mailed to their house. I don't think any of that turns a profit except for one division and they're worth billions of dollars. That's how most companies operate today. You know, look into it. The business world is very confusing and, and scary when you, when you understand what exactly goes into it. I'm no genius. You know, I do have a business degree, but you know, it, it, it's just a reality. People, when journalists talk about 1FC, about how 1FC is burning through cash, it's like, okay, that's what they're supposed to be doing. That's what the PFL is supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be burning through cash to grow the company so that someday the company is worth more money, they could go public, and then all those people who invested money in it will be able to get a big payday. So with all that being said, that's what's going on here with the with the, the the PFL. They're spending a lot of money. There might not be, they might not make an immediate profit from what they're doing, but the pro the 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 real goal is growth. The goal isn't to have like if they had a killer pay per view that sold a lot and Francis was featured on it, that would be great. But that's not the immediate goal. You know, this isn't like back in the day when the UFC was growing. This the goal is to have overall growth. And that's what these companies are trying to do. So Dana goes on to say, so you're an organization that's burning cash, have no ratings and selling no tickets. And you're going to raise $280 million to buy a company that's burning cash, sells no tickets and does no ratings. It sounds absolutely fucking genius to me. Sorry to our young listeners. Maybe I'll go in and, and uh, censor that for you. So you're an organization that's burning cash have no ratings and selling no tickets. And you're going to raise $280 million to buy a company that's burning cash, sells no tickets, and does no ratings. It sounds absolutely effing genius to me. Burn. So I'm assuming that people will probably think that at this point, I'm going to say that uh, I disagree with that statement. Because, you know, PFL is trying to grow. They're trying to become bigger. But... You know, I'm not one-sided on this. I agree with that. I agree with Dana White. He's right. The PFL is an organization that's burning cash, has no ratings, and sells no tickets. Bellator is a company that's burning cash, sells no tickets, and has no ratings. You know? Where, where's, this, where's the event that people are going to say, I want to watch this more than the UFC? What is Bellator or PFL's model, you know? The talent is all in the UFC. The UFC has fights every weekend. 
the UFC puts on the best competition. When was the last time that there was two fighters in Bellator, two fighters in PFL that you said, I can't wait to see those two fight. I, I want to see them fight so bad that I'm willing to spend, you know, 70 or $80 for the privilege of it. I'm waiting. The truth is that all the talents in the UFC and the product that Bellator and PFL is offering, as much as they like to think that's different, at the end of the day, it's MMA in a cage under the unified rules. And if you're going to offer the same product, even though you try to dress it up as being different with tournaments and things like that or smart cages or anything, the fact of the matter is all the talents in the UFC, UFC's already got the name recognition. People are going to go to watch the UFC. I don't see a world where Bellator could ever surpass the UFC because most of their talent, most of their big stars are people we've never heard of or people who have been cut from the UFC. How are they going to surpass the UFC with that model? Now, I do think there is a way that that PFL can, can really gain a lot of publicity from the Francis deal with all that being said. I do think it is possible, but a lot of things are going to have to fall into place for it to happen. And I'm not saying that those things necessarily will fall into place. I'm just saying they could, and we could see something that's very exciting. You know, back, back uh, before the UFC was what the UFC was, Strikeforce had a tournament, heavyweight tournament. This was after Pride had been bought by the UFC and after the pride was bought by the UFC, you know, Dana White and the Fertitas realized that a lot of the talent that actually all the talent that they had on pride, there were not in exclusive contracts. So a lot of fighters from pride were able to go other places, some of the heavyweights. And at this time, you know, the heavyweight division of the UFC was kind of weak. And uh, so Scott Coker, you know, the current president of Bellator, put on the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix. Let's see who was in the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix. Now for my noobs, this might not um might, might not all be familiar names, but uh trust me when I say this, these were some of the best heavyweights in the world. Fedor Emelianenko, Bigfoot Silva, Alistair Overeem, Fabrizio Verdun, Daniel Cormier, Josh Barnett, Her uh Karatonov, Andrei Olavsky, and Brett Rogers. The guy who ended up winning that whole tournament was the alternate, a young a young man named Daniel Cormier. God, he's so fresh-faced in this picture. He ended up beating Bigfoot Silva. Uh, Verdum and Overeem had a fight, and then, um, you know, I can't remember the reason, but Cormier had to come in and, and uh, replace them. He beat Bigfoot Silva, and then he beat Josh Barnett to become the champion. This was a stacked card. Every single person on this card, whether you recognize those names or not, was a big star in the heavyweight division. And PFL has a tournament where you could win a million bucks. And that's a big incentive. A lot of guys from the UFC have gone over to PFL to try to get that million bucks. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of wild how few have actually been successful in doing that. You know, the people who usually end up winning the, the PFL championship are guys I've never heard of. And they're usually not UFC's former stars. 
But they do have a tournament. They're going to have a heavyweight tournament where the winner gets a million bucks. But then the real, the real prize is fighting Francis because we know we have that guaranteed $2 million. So if I'm a UFC heavyweight right now, maybe someone in the top 15, and I might have two or three more fights on my contract, I might be thinking like, hey, you know, I could keep making, you know, 24 and 24 or 36 and 36 to go fight the best competition in the world, be on the undercard, you know, probably never had a chance at the title. Or I could go in this tournament in PFL and make a million bucks and then fight Francis and Ghana and make another two million bucks. And that's if I lose and all the fame and attention that comes with that. Am I crazy for thinking this? Am I crazy for thinking that the PFL is going to announce a heavyweight Grand Prix tournament in the year that Francis is, is getting a boxing match? You know, because that's, that's the big complaint, right? That's, that's why we're so critical. We were critical of Francis because he didn't have an MMA deal. He got an MMA deal that was way better than anything he could have gotten in any organization in history. It's the most comprehensive deal for an MMA fighter in history. And now we're critical of him because he's not fighting MMA for another year because he's going to get going to look for a boxing match, which he's going to get, by the way. But I'll get to that in a second. Okay. Blagoy Ivanov, Alexander Romanov, Chris Dawkins, Jarzinho Rosenstroke, Derek Lewis. Starting to get spicy now. Jarzinho Rosenstroke. Don't know how many fights he has on his contract. Derek Lewis. Same deal. Jalton Almeida. Y'all know what I think about Charlton Almeida. Sergey Spivak, Alexander Volkov, Tai Tuivasa, Tom Aspinall, Curtis Blade, Stipe, Sergey, Cyril. Obviously, some of these guys aren't going to be in a position to be out of the UFC in, uh, in a short amount of time, but I'm sure some of them are. You're telling me if we're going to have a tournament where, you know, Tai Tuivasa is fighting the PFL heavyweight champion in a tournament and you know maybe Curtis Blades is fighting you know another unsigned you know former UFC heavyweight fighter and they've got all this big name talent that would actually make me tune into the PFL I do not watch the PFL now I would watch that same way I watched the Strike Force Grand Prix I was there for all that it's not guaranteed but it's a possibility it could happen and the real prize after you get the million bucks is fighting Francis. So Francis has two fights. Francis could fight uh, the winner of the tournament and the, the PFL heavyweight champion, you know, or maybe they do the PFL tournament. The person who wins fights the PFL champion. And then that person fights Francis for 2 million bucks. It would take a lot for it to happen, but are you intrigued? I am. The last little part of this is the boxing match. You know, there, you know, there, there's Dana White called that out specifically, said, hey, they're 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 paying him to train for a boxing match. And I don't know where this idea came up that he is not going to get the boxing match. He is absolutely getting a boxing match with a big name opponent, and he's going to make a ton of money, more than he could ever make as an MMA fighter. You know, this is the same thing that just happened. People were saying Francis dropped, he fumbled the bag or whatever it was. And then they announced the 
the PFL deal and people were like, oh yeah, he actually knew what he was doing. And then like the next news cycle, people are like, oh yeah, well, he, he still fumbled the bag because he doesn't have the boxing match. It's the same thing that's going on. MMA media, do not make yourself look like a fool again. I know there's no repercussions for this, but do not do it. Trust me, he's getting the boxing deal. If I'm a pro boxer and I know I could fight Tyson Fury and 99% chance I'm going to win because I'm a professional boxer and I do nothing but boxing seven days a week and I'm fighting an MMA fighter who didn't even train 10 years ago and I can make 20, $30 million. Why would I not do that? Why would I not do that? Go ahead. Tell me. Put it in the comments. Give me one good reason why a boxer wouldn't fight Francis Ngannou. They're going to win. They're going to make a ton of money. It's going to be easy. They don't even have to. They don't. They don't have to do anything. All they have to do is do what they're doing already, which is tra which is train boxing, and then beat a guy who's never had a professional boxing match in his life. And I know Francis has knockout power, and he could knock out anybody, but he's not going to. He's not going to beat any of the top five boxers in the world, whoever they are. So the fact that people are saying, no, he's not going to get a top fight with someone like a Tyson Fury, Andy Ruiz, any of those guys sometime in the next 12 months is ridiculous. It's going to happen. Don't make yourself look like a fool, MMA media. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know, and when it does, you could come back and tell your friends to like and subscribe because I called it. You know, I, uh. You know, I don't want people to think that I'm a, uh, 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 you know, I, I love Francis and I, I, I hate Dana White because that's not the case. You know, I got news for these Dana White haters out there, especially people who make their career out of this, journalists and podcasters. You wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for Dana White. And this 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 uh, sport that we're all so passionate about, a lot of that is due to Dana White and the Fertitas. And, uh, you know, I support a lot of the things that the UFC does, uh, and there's a reason they do a lot of it. You know, I've spoken previously about the reason that the UFC doesn't want to unionize the fighters to unionize is because that will make fighting more like boxing and we won't see the fights we want to see. It's nice to say, oh, I wish the fighters made more money, but there's a reason that we don't see good boxing matches and we see the best of the best fight the UFC fight in the UFC all the time. But to that point, you know, the UFC did make like four hundred thousand dollars or four hundred million dollars almost last year. I think if they wanted to pay, you know, they wanted to pay Francis however many million, and they wanted to give John Jones, Deontay Wilder money. We could have seen that fight. That's the real regret in all of this, right? He's in the PFL now. I was wrong about that. I thought he was going to do the boxing match and go back to the UFC. We're going to see him fight John Jones. We're going to get a happy ending. I was wrong about that. But we could have seen it. You know, Francis could be fighting John Jones right now if the UFC would have opened up the, the bank vaults. But they're not going to do that. They're not going to give it that power. So in that sense, I, I blame them. But ultimately, we could still get some pretty exciting outcomes out of this. And I hope we do. I hope everybody comes out on top. You know, I hope the UFC continues to put on great fights. I hope fighters recognize that they could go and do their own thing like Francis did. I hope that we get exciting fights for Francis. And I hope that we get a kick 
a, a really cool, great tournament, heavyweight tournament in the PFL. Because that's kind of their thing. It's tournaments, you know. They haven't done a single one that's interested me in the entire time they've been in operation. But hey, now could be the time to start. All right, one last little order of business here. Road to UFC. So, you know, the UFC endeavor, they're all big in China. They have they have PIs in Shanghai. And uh, last year they did a show in which they showcased Asian MMA fighters. And they're going to be doing their road to UFC on May 27th, 28th on Fight Pass. So myself, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Asian MMA. I'm going to be covering that. The, you know, this isn't a big deal here. They did, did one advertising spot on it and none of the MMA media is covering it, but in Asia, this will be a big deal. So how the road to UFC works. Four men's divisions, flyweight, bantamweight, featherweight, lightweight, eight-man bracket for each division, round one quarterfinal, four fights in each bracket, plus one non-tournament fight, making five fights total per fight card. Winners move on to semifinals. Round two, semifinals, two fights in each bracket. Winners move on to the finals. Round three, finals, one fight in each bracket taking place on the preliminary card of a UFC fight night later this year. Winners will earn a UFC contract. Looks like they have some promising talent. And uh, I'll be watching it. I'll cover it. You know, I won't cover it in as in-depth as I do some of the the one stuff, but I think it's worth watching. And I think, you know, there it just goes to show you there's a lot of talent in this part of the world. And it also shows you that the UFC is aware of what one is doing and they're worried. Uh, because if you don't know, one FC... <laughs> has a very similarly named show and a very similarly named, very similar concept. For years, 1FC has been doing a show called The Road to 1FC. And a lot of great fighters have come out of that. So this shows you, you know, they, they, they're aware of what one is doing. They're cognizant of it. They're worried about it. And, um, you know, Road to One has brought us some great talent and some great fights. So it's 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 interesting to see UFC and uh you know the the ownership there respond to this. And we all know, you know, uh China and the Asian markets are the future of MMA. It's why what one is doing is so important. So it's interesting to see what the UFC is doing here. Uh I'm gonna cover it and hopefully we'll get a lot of exciting fighters uh from that part of the world that get more recognition on them. So that's it. We have some upcoming fights in one and the UFC. I will be doing uh, some preview stuff for that going forward. So keep an eye on the on my YouTube channel. And if you could uh, tell your friends to like and subscribe because, you know, you could see by the quality of my set. I don't have I'm not rich yet. I've been doing three episodes. I'm not rich yet. And that's very disappointing. I assume by this time I would be rich and famous like Ariel Hawani and women would want to sleep with me. And they don't. I got news for you. They don't. They're, they're not, I tell them I have a podcast and they're like, what does that even mean? And, you know, I only blame you, the fans. So do your damn job. Like and subscribe. Tell your friends. Uh, go to the nursing home where your grandma lives. Show her how to use YouTube. Have her like and subscribe. Have all of her old friends like and subscribe. And then maybe by the time I do episode four, that preview episode, I'll be a rich and famous podcaster. In all seriousness, thanks for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. We're going to grow this thing together. It's going to be 
number one in comedy podcasting and you all could say you were early adopters and you were along for the ride. Love you. See you next week.